You're listening to the FYIZ podcast feed. One feed, multiple shows. Confusing everyone. Tonight, on an all-new episode of Playing Records with John. I'm a sucker for synth anything. Yes, yeah, probably I know that so. about you. Yeah. <laughs> Go to your happy place. One, two, three, four, five. And count to five, it's pretty good. Hey, all you lucky listeners out there in earbud land, and welcome to another exciting episode of the exciting podcast, Playing Records with John. I'm John, and I'm exciting too, although not many people know it. And my guests today are very exciting. Uh, That's the last time I'll use that word, I promise. It's uh, Barb Vest and Alan Vest, who you may know as the band Double V. Now, Double V recently released their mind-blowing second album, Treat Her Strangely, and you can hear one of the tracks, Your Love Is It Real? There's a question mark. So it's like, Your Love Is It Real? Or maybe, like, Your Love Is It Real? Your Love Is It Real? Uh, Anyway, you can hear that song, Your Love Is It Real, in the seventh episode of Netflix's Adam's Family spinoff about Wednesday Adams, simply called Wednesday. It's got a great cast, Jenna Ortega, Catherine Zeta-Jones, Luis Guzman, and Fred Armisen. That whole series, with some episodes directed by none other than Tim Burton, is available on Netflix now. Also available now is the album Treat Her Strangely by Double V, which you can get wherever you get music. But most importantly, you can get it at doublev.bandcamp.com or at doublev.net. That's the word double and then V-E-E. I've been lucky enough to be acquainted with Alan since the early 2000s when I went to a lot of shows and he was touring around with the band Starlight Mints, who happened to be one of my favorite bands of all time. And that consisted of Alan and the great Marion Love Nunez and the great Andy Nunez, who until very recently ran the Norman, Oklahoma club Opolis, as well as a really cool guy named Javier Gonzalez on bass. And then usually some other awesome person in the fifth slot who could play multiple instruments on stage. So yeah, I've known Alan for a while, but this was the first occasion he and I had to talk at length about his music, and this is 100% the first time I've met Barb, who is awesome, so you're in for a treat. In addition, for you accent spotters out there, get ready for a mix of Alabama morphing into mid-Atlantic, Oklahoma, and Texas, so there's at least three different twangs in this conversation, if you pay attention. Okay, here we go. Me and Barb and Alan, and the music of Double V, Starlight Mints, and a woman named Margaret Dove. Is it really me in here on the access? Or do we have to practice? Through parades and parades and parades and parades and charades and charades In marvelous fashion We loved how you made those strangers feel Double V sounds like movie music to me. Oh, for sure. Yeah. Uh, so it's it's really not a surprise that, Barb, you used to host a radio show where you played um, music from film scores, right? Mm-hmm. What was it called? Filmscapes? Mm-hmm. And was it just any music from movies or, or specifically instrumental? It was mainly, it was instrumental. Um, I worked at a public radio station that was a classical music station at the time. So it needed to, you know, not suddenly bust out with, gold, you know. Gold, no Goldfinger. Right. <laughs> yeah. No James Bond theme songs or whatever. But yes, yeah, so it was it was exclusively you know instrumental, you know film scores, that kind of thing. 
Did you ever play any Pink Panther? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> I just had a student. I have a, I have these two students, their brothers, and the bass player, the very first, you know, he's younger. He just started playing bass. That was the first thing he wanted to learn was the Pink Panther thing. Which I thought was interesting. Are there archives of that stuff? Like, are the shows playable anywhere? No, this was years ago before, you know, podcasting or whatever. So it was yeah. just kind of one and done. I mean, I have all the that tapes. And Do you some, own the rights to it all? Um, no, I mean, I don't own the rights to the music I mean, that the, I played. But, so. the, but the... Well, it's my my show you, can, so. you should put it out there back on the webs well i don't i just don't know how you really do that when you don't have clearance to play the song so oh right and you heard the show before you met right alan yes we have a really weird like backstory like we never met each other somehow like in this world we knew all the, a lot of the same people it's like everyone kind of knows everyone sort of you know i lived in norm norman and she lived in Oklahoma City. And that's that that's probably the biggest thing is that I didn't it was it was a rare occasion when I would go to Oklahoma City. Um, and then we our age difference is like five years. So we kind of missed each other. I think we missed a little bit of each other, like at school. You know, we both went to university. She went to to University of Oklahoma Norman. So she she spent, you know, she went, I was working in a restaurant that she probably that most likely you yeah. could have even served me. I just don't have any solid memories. I mean, I, mean, I had never heard the Starlight Mints until I saw them perform at the Norman Music Festival in 2009. 2009. This is months before the last we oh. met. Everybody must do that with their significant other at some point. You, you think about all those times in the past where you, you could have crossed paths but didn't. Yeah, yeah. Like, Near misses like, and things. But. Like, we have a funny story about Niagara Falls. I was playing a show in, what was it? In a barrel going over the waterfall? <laughs> no. Uh, well, in Toronto. Toronto. And this Tori Amos was playing a show in Toronto. And she was going with her, with her parents to go see Tori Amos. And we were playing a show, but we both were, we figured out we were both at Niagara Falls the same day. So much could change when you're in the pocket of the sun. In the pocket of the With sun. his head on wheels through imaginary fields. Would you want to spend the night with the grass digger? Well, while we're on the subject of Starlight Mints, I just kind of, I want to talk a little bit about, um, you know, what a touchstone that band was for me and that music was. And that the first album, The Dream That Stuff Was Made Of, was um, huge for me. Am I right to think that you'd been living with those songs for a while when that album came out? Well, a lot of a lot of that stuff was was you know those are demos basically that were taken to Pro Tools with the exception of Cracker Jack, which was uh, recorded in Brooklyn. All those things were recorded here in in, in Norman. I mean, not here, nor in Oklahoma City, but um, and a lot of the same players, uh, which is a little bit different than everything else. You know, we you know there was an actual band that you know there were different members that went and came and uh and went but uh it was all recorded you know tape you know tape 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 and then 
sent to Pro Tools last last thing. So on the dream that stuff was made of, how how much of the instrumentation was was live instrumentation, and how much of it is uh, you know created with samples or or software instruments? Oh, that's all. That's that whole album is all live. Yeah, I figured as much, especially with the uh, the string parts. They just have such a a, a warmth. Was, they're tuned up through Pro Tools, you know, a little bit, but yeah, that's all. Uh, Mary Beth Lee and James Hondrich. I remember when I first heard that album, I was so excited to hear violins and cellos used in that way. Like this music was sort of um, uh, retro, uh, but also very current feeling. And the the those instruments were just part of the mix. W- was it always sort of your vision to have a, a a pop sound that was a little bit more expanded, like not quite or- orchestral, but you know, bringing in those sounds? The string thing, I played cello i mean i was a viola for like half a semester switched over to cello because i needed somebody and i played cello for like four years uh my teacher and i didn't get along well it wasn't that we didn't get along it was that the cello makers cello players were all troublemakers and i got lumped in with them and i got like my mom a note sent to my mom that you know because we would just like bad news young alan has fallen in with the cello yeah (laughs) and uh my mom didn't like the lady or or something at the time. And so she pulled me out. She said, you can quit Alan if you want and take private lessons. So I kept taking private lessons for a while. Uh, and then my teacher had a stroke. Oh no. Uh, yeah. didn't die, but she, you know, couldn't teach anymore. And so then I stuck and it got way into guitar at that mm-hmm. point. So I was just like, okay, I'm just playing guitar, learning, uh, the craft of, you know, of theory basically. And then once I got a four track, in the early 20s, I found an old used cello. I was like, I, I can play this thing. So that's when I started incorporating, you know, the or- orchestration part. Like Submarine Number 3 was one of the very first songs, seriously, that like that I was like, I'm going to, you know, do this sort of mini ELO thing. You know, I, I love Jeff Lynne, and I, I, I've always thought of that song as kind of in that vein. If not maybe sounding like a Jeff Lynne production, it kind of has that sort of depth and um, all these all these very forward hooks, like yeah. with the strings and and uh, the, even the way you're singing. Um, yeah, I should tell you. I, I mean, I think we all have a list of songs that kind of changed our course when we heard them, or we can kind of remember, like, oh, there was me before I heard that song, and then there was me after. And uh, submarine number three is one such song for me. I remember uh, clicking a link and being like, "What's this?" You know, and then like hearing it. And it just kind of brightened me up. And uh, I don't care how many times I've listened to it. If I if I think I've grown immune to it, I'm wrong. Every time I hear it, uh, it, it kicks my ass. <laughs> God damn it, I wish I'd written it.
first album came out on see-through broadcasting which was uh dave sardi's label that he started I'm, I'm always curious about that label experience what was that like dave sardi yeah dave sardi uh it was his part label he was part ownership of it so he kind of like you know brought me in and the band had kind of broken up mm -hmm. and i was just like i've have worked so hard on these i'm just gonna go sign with that you know i just you know we had a little agreement and then it was just me i didn't tell anyone anyone else that was part of the band had no idea i was doing that so and then i came once it was done i was like i gotta get a band together and then we put together a new band you know So that lineup that, that that toured that I saw a few times, that was the sort of newly reformed yeah. version of the band? Mm -hmm. That was pretty consistent the whole time, though, right? I mean, it's like, more or less, was the backbone of, like, who was performing at least in the live shows? Yeah, I the mean, the guitar, the guitar piano uh, person changed a lot, and uh, the bass changed a couple times. But other than that, yeah. I mean, Ryan Lindsay was the last piano guitarist. Let's just call him the auxiliary. And now he's in Rancho, the lead singer. He he's and they're awesome. Was he the one who had two guitars on him and was playing keys? No, no, no. That was Charlie. Okay, because I remember a guy yeah. who was playing keys and then was playing acoustic on most of the song and then had to spin around and play electric for a small part of the yeah. song, or maybe vice versa. Maybe he was playing electric and had to play acoustic. That was Charlie, and I put him up to the task. I was like, you think you can do this, man? And I kind of, you know, we kind of just experimented around with it. He's like, I'll go for it. It worked out pretty well. Pretty much like except for that first starlight mint record everything else has been kind of dictated by sequencers you know getting better at writing getting better at sequencing getting better at using virtual instru instruments um as either representing real instruments or as placeholders was it tough to maintain the kind of demands of a band's role in that and i mean because i know there have been times where if i get too good of a demo it's like you just call this the version because trying to like there's some part of you that will like that demo whatever that first form that you like doesn't matter if it's a demo or a live version or whatever like sometimes you'll find yourself kind of chasing the dragon of the demo oh, totally I always, I always find that to be a really strange position to put a band in of like hey will you please try to recreate this this thing that i made up by myself <laughs> well, it's, it's it's weird because i went through the whole tape to computer you know and it was kind of a very it was kind of very sudden you know it's like first got that mac i got the pro tools free with the free eight tracks had reason propeller heads reason and that, all that stuff blew my mind i still have just tons and tons of of stuff uh for of reason when i first got reason but um i basically was just made that transition into pro tools and kind of never looked back i ha we do have a a perfect task for 424 in mint condition that we bought 
like seven years ago for like 50 bucks. Uh, it, it's really kind of a vibe, you know? Mm-hmm. I still kind of like it. And it sounds even better when you when you take those old four tracks into like a nice preamp. There's like this huge vibe to it that we've never really explored yet. But we're thinking that we, I don't know, someday maybe taking some of these like really older songs, but pre-Starlight Mints even, uh, kind of making something out of them. So clearly the sound of Starlight Mints feeds into the sound of Double V, but it's it's not the same thing. And, and it, one of the things I've gleaned from interviews I've read or heard with you two is that it's a very collaborative process that, by which the songs are made. And, um, you know, Barb, I've heard you referring to, I don't want to misquote you, but I think you've said there are hard drives and hard drives of like demos and song sketches and little half ideas from Alan that, that you can sometimes, you know, pick from and filter them through your own ideas and then and then mm-hmm. develop that and give it back to Alan and between the two of you you you, you can create a, a new thing oh yeah 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 I've said that a, a billion times because yeah he really could I mean we, we could just use little segments of his ideas and not create anything new and release album after album because he has so many of them but yeah it's definitely a process lowering down you know which ones you know are moving us the most at the moment you know that we feel inspired by to to expand upon and you know some of these as a 30 second thing or in the case of matador bell of course was our you know lengthening and reimagining of of that one and just to be clear to listeners we're talking about matador bell the double v song that is 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 a new version of matador which is a a song from starlight mint's first album and it's funny because the original violin player uh texted me and said you know, it took me a while to get used to it, but I, I, I know what, why you did that and you did make it better, you know? Well, you always have the originals anyway, and, and it's just like you're putting a fresh coat of paint on something. You, you did a similar thing with Gold Star Redux. Oh, yeah, right. Mm-hmm. Which is, of course, a new version of, of Gold Star. I never know whether to say Redux or whether, is, is that a French word? I'm supposed to say redo? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> the same we, way. we just say Redux, so... <laughs> First of all, Barb, both uh, those ideas were, were, were Barb's ideas. Um, and that just gave me a little inspiration. But when it comes to Gold Star, I was like, okay, the first thing I wanted, you know, it's not that different. There's, there's lots of different elements, but the main difference is the speed. I don't know if you've like caught on that. It's faster. Um, and yeah, it's been reduxed. Yeah. <laughs> and the thing is, we, when we first tried to bet as the Mints live, it just felt slow. And so I redid it for the live show, which has nothing kind of to do with our version of it, but it was faster live always um, because it felt weird. And so uh, that was kind of a fun, when Barb said like, we making this better, you know? And there's so many aspects of it with Barb singing on it and stuff like that that makes it better. Like mystery, it felt 
I mean, there's a lot about the first three Starlight Mints records that I would go back and redo. I mean, it's just, it's the producer in me. Um, especially that first one. It's, it's funny because people talk about that first one a lot. I would be so thrilled to redo that first record. Well, I love the production on all the albums, but I, I do think... I, I can see how you would feel that they, they got better as they went along only because the style kind of evolved. Like I'm looking at my my favorite song from each album, uh, Submarine Number no. 3 from the first album, uh, Rinky Dinky from Built on Squares. I love that song. Uh, 17 Devils from uh, Not a Word Backwards. Um, <laughs> and then from Change Remains, the last album, a song called Gazzaretti. Gazzaretti. Yeah, Gazzaretti, yeah. Gazzaretti. Um, Honestly, there, there's a period of my life, like for the last 10 years, maybe that might be my most played song. I, I, I put it on, I just like how you click play and it's just an entire mood. Yeah. I've only heard of one other person who like was into that song. That's cool. Well, it's so catchy. It's like indie dub music. Synthy reggae. Tell me what kind of difference does it make if you're tall or you're ugly in the face? At least you have the vision to spot a feeling in the face. In the cracks of the crater on the moon, we bundle up our bets. And who knows with your nose and pair of mutual clothes? Two butts aside, yeah, we can ride. When a circle party, well, gallop along to the song. But anyway, my point is, I can see how, um, to you, it might feel like, oh, uh, uh, that first album is not as as polished as the later ones. But, yeah. but I think there's a charm to it, and I think that that uh, that first blush, when you first hear a band, that you know, you 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 as a fan love it, so you kind of don't want anybody to to go back and change it. It's mainly my my singing voice that I think that is has like improved so much between like. When those demos from 97 and 98, it's crazy to think about that. They were though, you know, before they were taken to Dave Sardi, who, who really convinced me not to re-sing them. You know, he, he was like, he's like, they're good as, as is. So I just kind of trusted his gut on that. I would go back in time in a, in a heartbeat and, and argue with them though now and say, I, I want to redo these, you know, cause I'm a better, I'm a better singer. I, I just, uh, I just, it took me a while. Two of you meet and uh, and get together around the same time that Starlight Mints disbands. Yeah, and um, I guess I'm really curious what that next period of of musical output is like because it's a few years before the first Double V release pops up in uh, 2017. Was this when you were doing a lot of uh, uh, music cues for 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 movies and TV and commercials and stuff like that, or at least um, you know? creating pieces that are intended for that? That was sort of like 
you know, b- trying to break into the score work industry, if that's what I was trying to do, I don't know. But, uh, um, and so I had built up a lot of these sample libraries and then songs. I'd worked on some, some different little shorts and stuff. Uh, and then, so there was kind of a break for me from singing at all, you know, and that was kind of the, sort of the era of, of writing some of those scores for nothing really you know just scores for just like let's see what i can do you know So Barb, you grew up in a in a very arts friendly household, right? Like, uh, uh, the kids were just expected to be little songbirds. Oh yeah, yeah. I have very arts and music centered family. Um, my mom was a teacher and a principal, and very, you know, arts appreciated person. I mean, totally. appreciates the arts and encouraged myself and my sister and my nieces to All great pursue singers. music. But yeah, All just since singers. I was a toddler, I mean, she had my. Uh, sister and I singing and harmonizing and that kind of thing. So yeah, I'm lucky to come from a really supportive arts focused family that understands, you know, that it is, you know, kind of an important piece of our world to have people creating art and music. You know, Barb, I can relate to so much of what you're saying because it wasn't the same situation, but in my family, there was definitely a value placed on, you know, finding a hobby or talent or, or some kind of skill that you could hone that that entertained yourself and also maybe that you could share with other people. And there were a lot of musicians uh, in my family too, like kind of going back in my mind to my granddad, uh, who was a very frequent just singer of songs. And he would sometimes corner you and try to make you harmonize. Mm-hmm. And, and you know, at family gatherings, someone would usually be sitting at the piano at some point. My sister and my dad were the best pianists, so it would be them playing songs, you know, Christmas songs. And even if you got older and you kind of rolled your eyes at it, you would join in. And and at a certain point, you're enjoying the, you know, hearing your voice and hearing other people's voices together. And um, there's no question that that had a, had a big impact on me. And it really had a pretty big impact on me that, you know, that her family was this way. I mean, I was just sucked in, you know, it's like, <laughs> I can't believe this. How soon did the two of you start making music together? We definitely jumped right into like doing some covers and stuff for family. Um, right. So we were kind of, we just jumped into it, you know? Yeah. Well, the very first thing we did was orchestrate one of my grandmother's pieces. She was a composer and singer and had would always record herself and record songs on a cassette tape player and then passed away in her mid-50s from a heart attack and we still have all those cassettes and so that was really one of the first things and Alan took one and cleaned it all up and remastered and then we took one of the songs and kind of orchestrated it and, and then added me singing along and that sort of thing.
you know, it was just overwhelming to hear these tapes because her grandma passed away in her early, in her mid fifties. It is such a gift that she recorded this stuff. I mean, in so many situations, you would just have lost all those songs uh, to time. Yeah. Right. Yeah. 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 She would record letters too. Like rather than sitting down and write a letter, she would record it on a cassette tape. So we have tapes of her. Hi, Amy. Hi, Barb. You know, here's what I'm doing today. I mean, just classic, just awesome. Just awesome stuff. Such a personality too. Such a personality. Um, right. It's great getting to share it with Alan because he didn't grow up in a musical family. So it's been. I had to fight my way. I mean, I played piano. We had a r- old rickety out of tune piano that no one played. It was always like, you know, I went to go see Star Wars and come back and go, I can figure this out, you know? Mm-hmm. So E.T., I can figure this out, you know, that kind of thing. A lot of those are the same notes. John Williams got a lot of mileage yeah, out of it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, you got, oh, and then you have uh, Close Encounters. I can figure. And then somewhere in there, you started Double V. Some of the Double V songs start out as a piece of Alan's music that's been kind of sitting there that then gets developed into a song by the two of you. Um, Does that mean it's always music first and lyrics second with Double V? Are there specific instances where you start with a lyrical idea? We talk about Jack the Writer a little bit, if we want to, talking about that song. Um, And you can jump in. I'll just say specifically overall, though, that, yeah, music is always first for us, music and then lyrics. we have little, I mean, little lyric phrases, you know, written down here and there, but we don't, you know, think back to them and think, let's do a song on based on that lyric. It's always yeah. music first, and then we just start messing around, you know, phonetically, you know, what works. And then some, sometimes there's something like Dan- Dangerous World. There was always, you know, for some reason, in the original idea, there was Dangerous World, Dangerous World. But Jack the Writer is, is like, we, it was basically like, eh, the, the, eh, the, the, you know, me saying <laughs> something in the demo. 
And it's like, okay, this could go anywhere. Um, there was something about a bike, and that's about it, you know? Well, it's the title track of your debut album, uh, The Moonlit Fables of Jack the Writer. So it's tempting to view it as a kind of a, a title track to a concept record. But I, I have to be honest, I haven't really gleaned what the story is yet or decided what it is. Right. We, I don't think we have either. <laughs> I mean, it's more <laughs> well, of a... You know it more than anyone. Well, it's more of a, you know, loose fantasy. I mean, the thing that we I mean, we would have further developed it if we actually were going to to put it on, but it's just kind of a kind of loosely tied together, I think, you know, mm -hmm. through the songs. I just think because that song was one of the first songs we did, was it not it the first? It was the first one. Okay, it was the first song we did. It was such a kind of an interesting, weird song. Right, the bridge outside could never be seen. I mean, it was obviously setting up, you know, well, who is this guy and what's going on, so. It's the first song on your first album, and it, it kind of sets the tone for that album, and it also sort of sets the tone for Double V as a band. So I can see why you chose it. I didn't know if there was anything else about the making of this one that um, that you wanted to talk about. Like, I, I find this to be a very cinematic song. I like the way that it keeps opening up. It gets, you know, you're a couple minutes in and you're still hearing new parts. I, I, uh... um, yeah, I mean, honestly, that's that's such a great <laughs> reference. Th that stuff, uh, you know, some Ennio uh, Marcone. Yeah. Um, I'm never going to complain about a little bit of that in the mix. But that kind of backdrop, it definitely sets up this this Jack the Writer character as someone who I'm I'm curious about. Uh, as as Barb said, what's going on with it? Yeah, we had a friend who actually said it sounded to him like a children's song that isn't for kids. I'm like, yeah, that's accurate. And it's kind of like if I I say this and Barb probably might disagree, but it sort of has this double thing with Jack the Writer, you know. Like uh, I know you hate this. <laughs> Go ahead. If you just hear the, if you don't look at the words and you hear yeah. the term Jack the Rider, yeah, it could be I'm going to Jack the Rider, or it could be he's Jack the Rider, he's the bicycle rider, or he's Jack the Rider, he's a poet, or he's a you know, or he's so Jack Nicholson in The Shining. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And so it has you know it it was really easy to write, or you know it was kind of like we had all these options once we came up with that that it was Jack the writer mm -hmm. and it was kind of fun. We had a really good, we had a really good time as I recall. Well, even though it sounds like you haven't nailed down a specific story uh, of what's going on here, I do think there's a combination of like, Oh, you could think Jack the writer is just a kid on a bike riding around his neighborhood uh, after the sun's gone down, or you can view this as a much more ominous, uh, potentially creepy mm -hmm. scene. I, I don't know if I'm the one who's putting that on there. I'm always into kind of creepy stuff. Horror is my favorite genre. So I think sometimes I just find that in places. Oh, no. I think it's, yeah, a little more otherworldly than that, you know. Cool. I'm glad to know that um, because otherwise there's something horribly wrong with me. <laughs> yeah. There was a point where I really got into taking walks at night because it was cooler and less buggy. Mm -hmm. And it got to the point where I was taking my walks later and later. And at a certain point, I thought, wait a minute. I'm having a nice walk, but if someone looks out their window and sees a guy walking down the alley at midnight, I'm the creep of the century. <laughs> anyway, it's good to know I'm amongst friends here. Yeah, we have kind of darker sensibilities, I think. So I would definitely say it's throughout our work, having a little bit of a yeah, yeah. mysterious undertone. Yeah, we both like like bats and stuff like that. Well, the rumor going around is that you are the birds and you are the bats. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we yeah, write yeah. songs for birds yeah. and bats. Yeah. <laughs> 
choice which was map the channels um barb you want to take this i just think i mean it's a good representation of us i think it's probably a little it's more different it's a little more different it's a little um probably a little more accessible might be a good kind of entryway song for people a little odd lyrically but you know it has some good piano parts and might appeal to a wider audience we've got a plan to map the channels Yeah, it was a little tricky to mix that song because we have you have the uh, you're doubling you have a backup part so that we we are the birds we are the birds we are the bats we are the bats you have a lot of s- s- s's mm-hmm. going on that was uh, and I remember us being in the studio and Wes going check it out kind of looking at us like it's like s- s- referring to Wes Sharon of One Fifteen yeah. Recording who we finish our mixing and mastering with all three yeah. releases we finished with him. But yeah, he's he's a magician. So I mean, those those S's were definitely worse. But things like that are a little tricky to to address sometimes. So Barb, you mentioned that map the channels is is maybe odd lyrically, and I guess I want to dig into that idea. Um, not that I think it's odd, but I do think it's got images and ideas in it that that seem like they could be the result of a really complicated, sort of tightly constructed idea, or they could be. Um, you know, something that's like constructed loosely around lyrical concepts. Oh, yeah, yeah. And it, it just seems to me that if you do approach lyrics almost phonetically as much as you do for their meaning, um, you'll end up with a certain kind of lyric that you never would have come up with otherwise that might have another layer of meaning that you discover yeah. through mm-hmm. through the process that kind of tricks you into. It's kind of um, similar when you are forcing the structure of a rhyme on, on lyrics. It's like you are... Sl- slightly deviating what you might normally say to state that thing clearly if you're trying to rhyme and in trying to find a word that rhymes you you know you may find something new and i think sometimes figuring out what sounds good what feels good phonetically what i often think of it just in terms of like what's going to be fun to sing for me and for the for the audience you know yeah so i guess i'm just wondering like how do you balance that and yeah maybe come back to map the channels is this song one that has a um a strict definition to it or is it or is it put together loosely loosely yeah well that's an interesting question i think that's right up our alley in the sense of like barb and i have this yin and yang totally this yin and yang with with 
making sense and not making sense. Who's the yin and who's the yang? <laughs> oh. <laughs> I think for well, both. No, I mean, I think that, I think that you try to make. I mean, you help make sense more sense of the songs where I'm kind of all over the place sometimes, and then we'll come together and meet sort of in the middle a lot, you mm-hmm. know. And so, I mean, with well, that, that song in particular, we were just having fun. Does it really make sense to suddenly have French in the middle of that song? Well, this, no. <laughs> and what <laughs> song off the new records like that that has the. Uh, uh, um, it's the nickels and dimes. What's the uh, word you you came up with? Um, you know what I'm talking about. Yes, I didn't come up with it. You were like, uh, had never heard that phrase. But what is it? It's uh oh. How do we know? Uh oh. Presto changeo. Presto changeo. Presto changeo. Which is like not a phrase I had created. I mean, you look back on you know Looney Tunes and whatever. I didn't know the phrase, so I had to like. That was that was definitely like something that we. Just had we met in the middle and said, okay, it's Presto Change Out. Uh oh, Presto Change No more nickels and dimes. No more nickels and dimes. No more nickels and dimes. No more like it's just specific enough to apply to something specific, yeah. but it's got a generality to it that you can plug your own narrative into. I mean, I, I don't know. I feel like that's a that's an interesting tightrope to walk, and I think that you know, you know, your songs tend to do that, where it's like I I can kind of understand what they mean, even if I think, well, there seems to be a story here that I'm not yeah. I'm not <laughs> getting all the details of it. All of them are open for interpretation. I mean, yeah. there's really only two songs that do have more of a personal meaning to us, and I don't really think either of them will ever publicly go what into um, no we just kind of <laughs> if we're saying the word i it's not necessarily us you know we're not singing as yeah, us I, it's, it's more of a character and you know just songwriting has 80 percent to me always been a kind of being an actor feeling like an actor for sure song is ladder for the people which is did stand out to me when you know when i listened to the cp before and then when i was kind of revisiting it today before i saw your list i had i had kind of made a note that it stood out to me i really like that that fuzzy bass riff yeah i love i love like a fragmented kind of arrangement um the, the other night i actually played the first show that i've played on stage in like three years it's a band that i sometimes sit in on keyboards and there was this one song where Everybody, for some reason, decided to hang back and see what everybody else was doing, you know? Mm-hmm. And and so for the whole song, there were these little... These little jabby parts that yeah. felt like a call and response. But I was like, oh, man, if we could have planned that, that would it was the coolest, like, happy yeah. accident. And I and when I heard that song, like, the, the way that the instruments interplay on that one, it kind of just reminded me of that, where it's like, it's a little bit stripped down. There's a lot going on, but... It's the it's those little jabs jointed a little bit, yeah. yeah. And I, you know, um, I don't know. It's a really nice melody, but I like I like the noise factor in that one. <laughs> 
ashes on the basement floor I'm, I'm gonna make this really quick the story but there was a uh, a potential for us for, to write a song for a an animated series. animated series uh, I'm not gonna say what it is or what network um, but that was written for that um, a version but that's how it started that song started then there was a car commercial that uh, that someone said hey here's here's a X amount of money can you whip out something or car commercial? And so I used that for this car commercial that only aired for like a month and was bad. It was, you know, it was just like, I'm glad I got paid, but and I'm, that didn't air it too often, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, but I always, you know, th- then it was like, man, that there's something about this. You know, no, 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 no. There's something about that. And so we just kind of kept, now we built it off of that. Yeah. So we just said, let's make a song out of this that's cool, you know, or attempt to. And uh, and so there's, a, yeah, there's that's the story of that song. Matador is, of course, a song from the first Starlight Mints album. And then on the new Double V album, Treat Her Strangely, you have uh, a song called Matador Bell, which is, a, which is a reimagining of Matador, the same way that Gold Star Redux is a reimagining of Gold Star. Um, yeah, I guess I just, we can open up this topic with just, I'd like to hear what the, what the thought process was and, and, you know, how did you approach the the idea of of adding to this song matador you know remaking it oh just improvisation on some of it the you know the echoing him on now i'm set free alan was actually kind of resistant to that idea for a little bit and then i think wes and i kind of convinced him it was all barb's idea you know to to like i said before to reimagine the song and to add to well really we really are literally adding to the song if you think about it the only you know we're taking away strings because the song had strings mm-hmm. we're adding brass which totally makes sense i think at the time even during the men's version i was like oh if we only had the time and money to get brass players you know because mm-hmm. of course i mean strings kind of go with it but i mean the matador just i don't know brass it just seems the way to go well it's also a nice way to differentiate it if you are going to kind of do a yeah yeah a, a, a revisiting of something it's like it has i mean so often strings and horns can kind of provide a similar sort of just musical heft in a way yeah yeah the main change that jumped out at me was the uh the presence of like a, a new vocal part or or 
at least a partially new vocal melody, but a new vocal part where before it had been an instrumental part. Yeah, you have the whole the um, only you know. So it was it was kind of like a, a musical bridge in right. the in the uh, original version, and then we started. So we started toying with let's put some lyrics over that musical bridge. Now I'm set free. Now I'm set free. all pretty fun pretty quick i think as far as i remember oh, yeah no we finished it. that in a week yeah as far as i mean it's really weird how songs take you know some songs can take months some songs um like questions closed took us a week which we made that whole song up in a week you know that was uh, we'll get to that later but um but matador bell also you know was we enjoy because we got to collaborate with Atore Nicolette, the italian actor who was originally a Mintz fan and then a Double V fan. And we just approached asked him and him. asked if he'd be interested in collaborating and he was all for it. So we have this great video that was produced entirely over in Cesena, Italy. Italy. I don't know if I'm saying that right. Well, for one thing, people should definitely check out the video. It's great. Um, but also I love when you find somebody who can kind of step in and sort of share the 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 creative burden on a project like that like someone who can cover some bases even if you could cover those bases yourself and shoot your own video it's great when someone steps in someone you you know you find somebody whatever meeting of the minds yeah for sure for sure where somebody is, is going to make creative choices that you can trust and that you can get behind yeah it was know, amazing because it's definitely the most hands-off we've been on on any of our music videos and yeah, we started mm -hmm. talking to him we didn't even know what song we were going to do well, we'd offered two, and yeah. then he, you know, he liked the, them both. Yeah, but, you know, was more drawn to Matador Bell because of the history. You know that he had said he'd originally heard Submarine Number no. Three and bought the record. You know, and it was interesting to hear like what, how he got sucked into the Starlight Months, being from Italy, right? You know, <laughs> and he said it was the uh, popsicle video. So, oh wow! Yeah, with the puppets, right? Yeah, yeah. Who, who's the guy that directed that? You know, it's funny you ask. Uh, D Dan Brown, who did Dan Brown? That's right. When Dawn Comes Tonight video. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. We've been friends since like the fourth grade or something. So I remember meeting like, him and like. Um, oh, yeah. That's right. Kent so, Osborne and a few other like guys that were heavily involved in like festivals and comedy shorts and different stuff. Yeah. Well, Mike Mitchell was the other director. Right. You know, you know about him, right? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. He like did Deuce Bigelow. He did like uh, Shrek 3, you know, stuff like that. He's been. And I think he may have done like a. A lot of stuff. A yeah. Kung Fu Panda movie or something yeah, like that. Yeah, yeah. You know, anyway. And Dan, yeah, was awesome just getting to work with him. I mean, we, you know, have a very low budget and he was willing to work with us. And it's just yeah, really amazing because we hadn't really shot a video, you know, in that huge of a space, like an official studio with all the pro equipment and had, you know. Whole crew. 
actress. Well, that's cool too with someone like I mean him doing like a very memorable video for Starlight Mints and then mm-hmm. doing like the, I like that kind of um aesthetic continuity. You know what I mean? That's like it's a new project, new day, but you can still like clearly there's something in that that he 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 gets what's going on with it. Yeah. Yeah. It's like that's what I was saying about trusting someone's aesthetic. The way you're being presented in a video or the way your music is being presented, but especially the way you are being presented, it can be such a touchy thing if it's like one degree off <laughs> of like <laughs> what your aesthetic is, you know. It's almost better to like not to appear on screen at all. Right. If, if you're not sure how it's going to go because then it's like, I mean, I've always I've always told people like the last thing we need is like me standing in the forest strumming a guitar or something <laughs> like that. <laughs> See, that's that's how I feel and that was like for me, for me, it was like, okay, I don't have to, you know, and Barb maybe feels somewhat the same way. It was like, we don't have to be in this. Wow. <laughs> so awesome. I don't have to go on a diet. You know, I don't have to, you know, <laughs> or whatever. Yeah, know? it was definitely different, but it was great. I mean, we were connected via WhatsApp and Atore would was sending us, you know, video clips and photos from the set. They, had, they did two days of filming. And yeah. so it was sort of like we were there, but not there. But yeah, we totally trusted Atore and the small team of wonderful people that he put together to work on that. And we just feel really, really fortunate to have gotten to, to do that. When Dawn Comes Tonight kicks off the new album, uh, Treat Her Strangely, and it actually has that kind of stealth title track status because the lyric, uh, Treat Her Strangely, is in there. Yeah. I thought this was an interesting kickoff to the album just because it almost sounds like we're starting a track that's already been playing. Like, we're not hearing it build. We're just hearing this groove. It just kicks right in, almost like dropping a needle on a record. You know, not at the beginning of the track, just right in there. Um, which feels like an unusual thing for you to do. I feel like yeah, I can't yeah. think of a Starlight Mints or Double V album that has kicked off quite that way. Um, it, it reminded me of like a, a, a Pixies track from Bossa Nova yeah. or something like that. And even the guitar work on the song is kind of Pixies-ish, which is something I've thought about your stuff before. Well, it was just, I think that one was kind of partially written a long time ago with that in mind. I mean, with that whole guitar solo and everything. Um, that was just sort of a thing. And then it went into some kind of verse. It was like completely different lyrics. And then it was kind of unknown. And then it took us a while to figure out, okay, what is the hook of the song? What's the chorus? What's the... And then we, so we sang that same guitar part. That And then it just kind of stuck. So
has this, uh, and, and, and it's a specific uh, era, or not era, but specific type of, but it has a Sly and the Family Stone thing to it. I don't know if anyone's picked up on that, but. Well, I mean, it's definitely kind of groove-based, like, yeah. with little flourishes and fills. Yeah. It was kind of the single, like, like cool. we knew it was the single, the first single. Like, we always knew it going into, you know, mixing. It was just sort of, which, I don't know, uh, to me, at least, I mean. Yeah. Um, we've been practicing that one quite a bit, so it's a little bit hard to escape from for me personally right now. It's just like <laughs> I practiced that one the most, you know, because it, you know, it was the guitar solo isn't isn't the easiest thing to play. So I've been really, you know, hunkering down on that one. Heard it maybe a few too many times. <laughs> Put in your ten thousand hours on that one. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Gotten really good at it. Yeah. On top of being a gorgeous song, uh, the middle side of me is is also sort of like a, a microcosm of, of your whole dynamic range. You yeah, know, it, it it goes from being super intimate to being uh, like full on Technicolor musical. It's probably the the song I would worry the most about overusing the word cinematic when I talk about it. Um, uh, what's the origin of this one? It's it's a really strange origin. I had two different snippets of a song idea and they were both connected I, I, one was like over the top you know with the bump 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 the symphonies you go bump 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 and the other one was just the uh, the piano like it starts off with with the guitar and piano and barb noticed like she had heard both these versions it always been one of my favorite little segments both of these segments and it was kind yeah. of like why don't we combine both those yeah segments into you know the same song It came together pretty easily vocally. I mean, lyrically, which is not usually the happenstance. Usually, it's lyrics are really hard, you know, mm -hmm. thing to settle on. But this one, I mean, it had a lot of emotion in it, and so I think we went with it. I was like, yeah, we, this could be like a, you know, a you know breakup song or a love song or whatever, you know. Um, and I and, and a lot of people seem to like it. I mean, what, we're, yeah, it really is we're kind of discovering a lot of people like this song, you know, which is, you know, not that we didn't think they would, you know, or, or but we never really know. So it's nice to hear what people are really responding to. Yeah. I find it's funny that like, you'll think people are going to love something. Oh yeah. Cause it's so accessible and it's so yeah. lucky and that no one ever says anything about it. And then some other song that you, it's not like you're, you're not putting anything on your album that you don't really like. Yeah. So it's not like there's something you don't like, but there's some songs you just think are sleepers or that are like, yeah. this is like, going to be a little discovery. And so, yeah, it is kind of gratifying when 
maybe an outlier song. It's kind of short too. Yeah, it's kind of like in and out. No, I love it. I think that this one too lyrically feels very. There's a rawness to it yeah. that is like some of these phrases I jotted down. It's like I don't know if I know what it means to say. I doubt would know if we tested every door. It doesn't really feel that clever anymore. Um, like. I feel like I relate to that's one of those lyrics where you go, I kind of relate to that, yeah. even if I'm not yeah. sure what inspired that. That's like, yeah, it's like my favorite part of the song, too. It's like yeah. the, the lyrics you're talking about. Like, there's something that, like, it gets emotional, like, on this, you know, like, the, we're, we, you know, I don't think we, I don't think we write these type of songs, you know, but when we do, you know, it, you know, it, it just has a, it has a mood to it yeah sure. and it's, it's nice to have the, this type of song you know I, the, the, the whole idea of the middle side of me is sort of like that's a little yeah, bit what of does that play. mean yeah but it's like it's mean? wordplay on yeah. so it's like even if it does take this it gets to this kind of emotional place the fact that it's it is sort of a clever like you know yeah it is a little clever to say you'll you'll never see the the middle side of me it's a little bit like the middle side of me to me is like the like the the squishy uh, you know unprotected part or something right, like that right yeah yeah i mean like i think i think we kind of got lucky with this song i think it just sort of like because i don't i actually don't recall right you know writing the lyrics to the song i mean like i mean a lot of songs i do i remember specifically like us going back and forth you know we have google docs sometimes right yeah. we go into the history of google docs and i'm yeah. sure see all the chaos of us going back and forth and different color fonts you know and all yeah, of our you know, lyrical decisions yeah I get stuck in your color fonts because I don't know what I'm doing. <laughs> You'll be like, how do I get out of blue? How do I get out of blue? You know. Let me help out. <laughs> Our new single, Help Me Out With These Fonts. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Barb, I, I know you've talked a little bit about writing the lyrics for the last song that the two of you selected, which is The Questions Closed, uh, which is also the last song on the new album. And it is a little bit different, but it, it does also feel sort of like a capper of of what's happened on the album and then kind of a hint maybe of, of things to come uh, with the band. But I know that the lyric is one where you went from something very personal to something a little bit more universal. And I'd like to hear uh, kind of the, some of the thinking behind that. Um, I'm not asking you to reveal the, the personal details that you already decided not to reveal. Um, I'm saying more the, the thinking behind just moving towards the universal, almost like you had to write the first lyric to get your thoughts out and then realize like, oh, wait, maybe this is not what's best for me or the song. Mm -hmm. um, and then, you know, coming up with something that might be more relatable to people. Yeah. That one was really, yeah, it was kind of the last song that we were working on and I sat down and wrote, yeah, those specific lyrics and like, yeah, this is, it's too personal and would it be too difficult to deliver live? I mean, I have so much respect for people who can do that, write a really personal song and actually perform it. You know, I can't fathom really doing that. So yeah, I just kind of went on a totally different, you know, wavelength and just changed it over and made it into more of a, yeah, just kind of a universal, you know, breakup love song, you know, empowerment, you know, you don't need this guy anymore anyway, type thing, you know, just claim your own, you know, personhood, move on. <laughs> You can kick yourself or torture yourself 
feeling like you're being disloyal or like you're giving up on something or somebody. It doesn't have to be a romantic relationship, like you said. It could just be any friendship. I've had friendships where I had to sort of walk away, just realizing, well, I think I, I think the question's closed. I think I, I know everything I need to know about this person, and this, mm -hmm. and you know, romantic relationships can be the same way. Yeah. Uh, but I think, yeah, that, that's what hooks me is that, that question of, when, when is it time, to kind of say, all right cut your losses and kind of walk away empty-handed and know that that's okay mm -hmm. for your own sake. Plus, it's just a kind of a cool phrase. I mean, the question's closed. It's like a sentence. You know, I it's just right. the kind of uh, uh, casual phrasing that that I like to hear in a song. I remember when we came, when, or you or whatever, the, the whole premise of, can we say that? The question's closed. Oh, well, Alan, you had a little like, like that's not even really a word, is it? The, you know, the question's closed. And then, well, it's a con contraction. It the question is me, closed. You know. I mean, the kind of. Right. Yeah. It it's works. perfect. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, like, I look back on it, and that's like, that's the sort of like, you know, part of me. I mean, that's the sort of yin and yang stuff with us, you know? It's like, um, I've got to accept things sometimes, you know? someday that we can make an album where it's just like you know it's just like this song to where it's like maybe one of us says okay i want it to be like this but let's start from scratch on our, our ep we had a song called uh landlord of the flies yeah and that was another one we wrote from scratch but that took literally the longest time is that the one with the you choose the song, I choose the song? Yeah. Yeah. That's a that's a great little uh that's a great little bit of performance there. Oh man, it's great. Cool. But it took us so long to come up with that. It was like it was like it was just like blank, 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 no, no, no. Like so many, you know, days and days of going, this doesn't feel right, you know? Right. And then finally we came up with that. Push the 
But Questions Closed, the opposite. It was kind of like, Barb had this idea musically. She's like, okay, here's the idea musically. Can you kind of start something? Right. Mm -hmm. Right. And then he kind of started on something. And then I went up to the attic and sang something over it. How about something like this? And we immediately went, took it from yeah, there. let's do it. And then, and that's that spark, you know, it's like, I mean, you really want that creative spark to happen quickly. So Treat Her Strangely sat in the can uh, finished for about a year, right? It's weird to think about that. You know, I think a lot of projects got got sort of paused during lockdown. I was wondering if you think that influenced the album in any way, just what everybody was going through. I think we would have made this regardless of COVID or not. Well, y'all had your own things like heavy stuff to deal with during that time. Uh, music sometimes is kind of a, a, a tool for maintaining sanity for me you know one by one we would share our songs as they were done you know with our kind of little mm -hmm. little golden circle sister and brother-in-law parents nieces and aunt aunt and uncle mm -hmm. <laughs> that would always kind of chime in on everything so yeah they're kind of the the wind beneath our wings through all of for that sure that's amazing i mean i gotta ask do they ever give like notes oh yeah oh yeah yeah, yeah. yeah nobody yeah. asks specifically i mean what sort of stuff will they come back with oh I mean, mainly, I mean, just totally positive, but sometimes they would be like, well, couldn't you turn Barb up a little more here? That's the whole like dilemma of whenever you're a producer too. Um, I sit in here, you know, work on the songs and I will just hear them over and over and over. You, and you, you learn how to survive that. Yeah. I mean, I've been doing it for years. So, you know, it's like, okay, I've done this before. You can, you know, keep on going. You can give yourself a break. You know, you have to give your ears a rest. Drowaton, uh, I, it took me like five months to mix, to, to, to get the, to, to prepare the drums for mixing because of the what the way we approached it in the studio and that was mm -hmm. we approached it like the fleetwood mac way i always say that because i don't know in the documentaries where they would you just do kick and snare kick mm -hmm. and snare and that was it for one track you know and then, then we do hi-hat over you know overdub hi-hats overdub cymbals overdub toms you know we, it was just like you put it together later yeah and we did that all you know we went to tape I know. I think that was digital, but took all those tracks back. And then, I mean, it was, it was a nightmare for him to mix all those drums together. Uh, he just still, I think he still tells the story. Trent Bell tells the story of, of how crazy that session was. So, but it sounds great. I was about to know. say, it gives you such control over the sounds. That's that what does, I wanted. Yeah. I wanted full control. So like, if there was a drum mistake, we could fix it, you mm -hmm. know, um, without, spending so much time in the studio and what we would do also is after the song was done i was like okay let's get tons of single snare depending upon the song tons of single snares tons of single kicks tons of single hi-hats you know so you always have like if you had to replace something you always have it you know yeah it was a big puzzle and uh, it was fun sort of but it was just time consuming and i i, I love just using kick, like samples you know, 
nowadays. Well, I don't know if I just like your samples or what, but uh, I, I used to salivate over the the Starlight Mints uh, kick drum sound. I could never mic a kick drum to sound like that. I don't even want to <laughs> think about micing a kick drum ever again, <laughs> honestly. <laughs> Well, where should people look, like, what's the best place for people to go and buy uh, Double V Music online? I know you're available everywhere, but is there a, a, mm-hmm. the best spot they should go? Oh, well, our website is where you can go for CDs, mm-hmm. um, doublev.net, that's double V-E-E, um, and then, you know, all the streaming services or Bandcamp, you can buy digital download, you know, directly from us. Yeah, any of the streaming services. I mean, every little you know playlist ad and you know goes to help us for sure because it is a crowded playing field, you know, with streaming. Uh, you know, something I, I, I this is something I understand. If this is not uh, anything that is for public consumption at all, but is is there any chance you would send me a clip of one of your grandmother's songs that could be dropped in when we're talking about her music? It's funny because uh, I said I, I wrote this down. And I was trying to get her attention. I, could we share? It says, could we share? <laughs> I don't know and why that's making me emotional. Sorry. Well, no, I just ah. think that would be so, I mean, it's such a beautiful yeah, part totally. of the story. That, but I, I would love to, I mean, I think it'd be awesome for people to get to hear. It's emotional anyway. So it's just like, ah, yeah. crap, an interest in it. I just, you know, she didn't get to see, you know, hear her stuff played anywhere. So I wish she could have. What was her name? I don't know that you mentioned her name. Mar- Margaret. Margaret Dove. Margaret Dove. Spelled like it sounds. Yep. yep. Definitely. lived in Bluffdale, Texas, little town south of Dallas. Did we learn anything? I mean, we're definitely getting better as a as a team. I mean, I feel like that we could write another album, and if we were given three months, at least a really good EP, you know, yeah, like um, do it. The, yeah. <laughs> we're given some funding. Yeah. yeah, we need some funding. <laughs> but anyway, thank you so much. Looking forward to meeting in person. Yes, and have a great night. And once again, uh, yeah, just thanks so much for your time. This was lovely. Thank you so awesome, much. Awesome. We'll send you some of Grandmama's music. I can't wait to hear it. All right. Well, thank you. We'll see you soon. Take care. I hope. Take yes. care, man. Bye.